Uh, we're continuing today, uh, week f- uh, three of our series, uh, Do What Makes You Holy. Do what makes you holy. Uh, the, the culture says do what makes you happy, but we're, we're saying no, we're going to do instead what makes us holy. And the, the kind of the template for holiness in uh, scripture is the Ten Commandments. And so the, the, we've been going through the Ten Commandments. We did the first three last week. And really we should keep in mind that the first two, no gods before me, or as we said last week, do not give your allegiance to, you know, the, 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 what's going on around us. Right, that one, and then the following, and um, don't uh, don't make any images. Which in, we said in modern English is something like, don't give allegiance to what makes you happy or what, what the, the happiness that you create. Those two right there are foundational for all the rest, because the point is you put God first, not your happiness, not what you're doing, not what the people around you whisper in your ear, but you put God first always. And then the last one we, we talked about last week was don't, don't give, uh, don't brand God, uh, with things unless you're absolutely sure God's involved in them. So don't, don't say that God wants this war unless you're absolutely sure God really wants this war. Um, and that's kind of what we, uh, kind of updated or helped understand what it means to take the, uh, the name of the Lord in vain. But the bottom line is, and this is going to be the, the first thing your note sheets, and we're going to keep hammering it every week. Holiness is what makes happiness possible. Right now in the culture, what you're being told with every message, every message is do what makes you happy. Find out what makes you happy and then go after that. Seize that. Live into that. That's what is it, life is all about. The Bible flips that on its head. The Bible says, no, holiness is what makes your happiness in this life even possible. If you don't have holiness, you won't be happy. And the reason for that is that holiness, we, we tend to think of holiness as like uh, following a set of rules or being, um, being caught up in, in, in not doing this or not doing that. But really the way holiness comes out in scripture, and go back to the first week if you missed it, um, holiness are the, it's principles of life that cause human flourishing. Okay? It's principles that if, if our community follows them, generally follows them, human potential, human destiny can be realized. And that's where happiness is. It's when we're doing and being who God made us to do and be. So with all that said, let's take a look at the fourth principle. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as Yahweh your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat. Um, Sabbath in Hebrew is Shabbat. It's the word for rest. And so you can, anywhere you see Sabbath in, in, in the English translation, you can just drop the word rest in. Observe the rest day by keeping it holy. Um, the seventh day is a rest to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, any of your animals... And, no, and, and not any of the foreigners who are living in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God has commanded you to observe the rest day. 
we, we talked a little bit about the Sabbath in our Christmas series. It's called Restored. And it, we kind of came at it from a different angle. So if you want an, a compliment to this teaching, go back um, on our website to uh, the watch or listen and, and go back and find um, in the middle of December uh, a, a companion piece to this teaching. But today we're going to look at why the Sabbath exists and how to do it and how it promotes human flourishing. How it leads to, it's a type of holiness that leads to the happiness of a community. So let's uh, zero in on the, the reasoning for the Sabbath. Uh, the one reason, of course, is that God himself rested, and so we imitate God by resting. But God says there's another reason to remember this. Remember you were slaves in Egypt, and that Yahweh your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand outstretched arm. Therefore Yahweh your God has commanded you to observe the rest day. We, we, we are, we, we, we all work hard. Most of us do. I mean, we got, I'm, I'm lazy, but the mess, the, the rest of you seem to be hard workers. But the kind of hard work we do is very far removed from, uh, what it was like to be a slave in Egypt and really just to be in the ancient world at all. Uh, for the vast majority of human history, uh, labor meant f- grinding physical labor. Um, uh, Nate's been trying to get me to go to the gym uh, to help me exercise. Now, I need to go to the gym. Why? Because my regular day is me sitting on the couch looking at a screen for like 10 hours. In the ancient world, you didn't need a gym because all you had to do was survive and you would become very fit and healthy uh, because you were pulling plants, you were working thing, working the land, following, you know, constructing, building things. For the most part, we in, the, in our contemporary culture, we, we are very far removed uh, from what that labor is like. Nevertheless, we have found a way to replace it. So, so God, God says, uh, Yahweh says, Israel, I have, I have taken you out of slavery. You are no longer going to be working seven days a week, nonstop. You're never, that's not going to be the case anymore. You're not going to be slaves. You're going to be my people. And, and so you, you're freed from that. And we, as Christians, as believers, we actually have found a way to re-enslave ourselves. I got a couple, th- this first statistic I don't buy entirely, but I think it, so H&R Block did like a survey in 2021 and asked people who file their own taxes, who use H&R Block, how much free time uh, they had during the week. And, and the average answer was four hours and 26 minutes. That, that seems a little like over the top to me. I mean, because that would mean like, you know, you're, you're eating your ramen and you're working at the same time. Like that, that's hard to do. So I'm not sure that I, I take this at face value, but I will say this. I do think... I do think that it's emblematic of something that's going on in our culture. We, we live in a culture of busyness. We live in a culture of filling up all of our time. There's a reason for that. Uh, if you, anyone see that, that show Downton Abbey? Downton Abbey? Anybody, really? No one likes Downton Abbey? What the heck? I remember there was like three movies that came out. I was like, this is garbage. I don't want to watch it. At any rate, uh, Maggie Smith, the, the grandmother character, at one point, <laughs> She's talking to like one of the servants and, and she, and the servant's like, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't be there. That's, that's my weekend. And she goes, weekend? What's a weekend? And the, the joke is, is that for Maggie Smith, she's like a, she's a, you know, high up noble. So she never works, 
her like entire life is just sitting around going to tea parties and like and chatting with people and trying to get her family to do what she wants and so all the way up, that, that show takes place in like the 1910s and 20s, really about 100 years ago. Up to about 100 years ago, the sign of high status in a culture was not having to work. It was leisure time. If you were wealthy, you were a person who didn't have to go to the office. You could just sit around all day. And that was, that was seen as like a high status marker. That changed. That changed over the last hundred years, and it's changed primarily because of the United States of America. Uh, I, the next one here, psychologists have done a bunch of studies, and what they found is that Americans associate being busy with having high social status. Okay, we, we, and, and then you know how this works, right? So you come up to me like during the week, like, Tom, how's it going? I'm like, oh man, just trying to get stuff off my desk. You know how it is. Yeah, pretty busy. Been pretty busy, but you know, we're getting through. Isn't that how we talk? I'm making it, getting through, pushing hard. I've been really busy lately. I'm really not that busy. (laughs) Like, compared to, you know, most people, like, I probably don't have that much to do. But that's, that's kind of how we talk. And the reason that psychologists think is, is that uh, America, as it was being built, had this kind of hard work ethic. That like hard work was what made it possible for us to, you know, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and become successful. And so as a result, uh, we in the United States have, have flipped the script. And so now being, filling up our time with activities and, and that's our sign that says that we're doing well. That we're, that we're being good. In fact, being busy may be the last kind of universal value shared by Americans. And as a result, our, our work ethic has, has, has dramatically changed the rest of the world. And so um, the, everywhere in the West has become more busy because of us. Uh, number three. This, is, this one's funny. Uh, the neuroscientists have been taking images of people at rest. Okay, so you're just sitting there and you're allowed to think about whatever you want. Okay. And what the neuroscientists have noticed is that when they started doing these studies in the year 2000, the average person would think about a thought for about 12 seconds. Um, that, that has now dropped to eight seconds. And uh, for those of you who have the ADHD, when you were told in, in high school that you have the attention span of a, a goldfish, that's now true because the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. So we are literally at the point where um, we are absolutely distracted all the time. And there's a reason for that, right? It's been uh, the rise of screens and social media. Um, as you know, the social media giants, uh, they, they are taking data when you're, when you're scrolling. And they're taking data to see what you stop on, how long you stop, and then uh, they, they push that up in the algorithm because they assume that someone else will be, be like you, Okay. And so what they're doing is, is they're waiting and, and they're paying people millions of dollars to track what catches your attention. And then they monetize it. And so the social media companies are, they're in the business of trying to grab you. That, that's how they make money is they make money. You're the product. They make money off of you being interested. Now our brains are adapting to that. We know it's happening and so we, our brains are like, well, I'm just not going to be interested in that. We, we, we're filtering out more and more stuff that we don't think is interesting. And as a result, we are becoming 
absolutely incapable of focus. Doesn't mean, of course, that, you know, people, that we can't focus. I mean, probably some people here are going to pay attention to at least 10% of the sermon. Well, that's much longer than eight seconds. So it's not that we don't have attention spans. It's that our brains are adapting to a world that is trying to enslave us. The last one, probably the most depressing statistic, is that 77, this has been multiply, done multiple times, and it's actually the, over time, this is rising. But 77% of 18 to 24 year olds look at a screen after a task. So what they do is they, they get a whole bunch of 18 to 24 year olds into a room, and they give them like a math problem or something. They say, hey, when you're done, do whatever you want. And they, the, the kids assume that what's going on is they're being tested, like how well they can do on this math. No. What they're watching is to see as soon as they put their pencil down, what do they do? And 77% of 18 to 24 year olds, as soon as they put their pencil down, the first thing they do is they pull out their phone and they start scrolling. This is not, uh, this is not the labor of the ancient world, but it is an enslavement. It's a digital enslavement. We are being pressed to be busy all the time. And as a result, even when we stop, we don't. For the record, by the way, uh, Jack, for, for coasters, um, only 10% of people 65 and up go to a screen when they finish a task. Only 10%. So the coasters are keeping us sane and we need to pay attention to the way they live. Uh, that word Shavat, um, rest, Sabbath, the, the original, the basic meaning of Shabbat is stop. Stop. It can even mean uh, to, to be not present, to be unavailable. Why? Why, why, did, why did stop turn into rest or Sabbath? Well, because when we, when we actually stop, like really stop, that's when we start to see again. That's when we start to get present to the universe, to the world, to what God's given us. You know, if you were out there laying bricks for the Egyptians all day, every day, you never got to stop and look at the beauty of the reeds in the Nile River. You never got to stop and appreciate what God has given and what God is like. You never got to spend the time that really matters with your family. And so God put in place a principle And that principle is this. It's the fourth principle. Stop for at least a day a week. That brings up um, a couple of questions. The the first one uh, is, what does rest mean to you? I think we need to radically redefine rest and and to, to redefine it in terms of stopping. Because a lot of us think like what rest is, is, you know, me sitting on the couch and playing the new Hogwarts legacy game uh, on, on PlayStation 5. That's not actually rest. It's a lot of fun. And I, gosh, I got to tell you, that game is outstanding. If you haven't tried it yet, you really should. It's phenomenal. Totally nails the Harry Potter vibe. Uh, 
that rest, that, that's not rest because it's, it's a distraction, really, from what matters. Not that, you know, the Harry Potter universe isn't beautiful or whatever, but it's not the real world. It's not rest to sit on the couch and, and go through all the reels. Although that is an effective way of coming up with low-carb recipes that are really delicious, it does do that, but that's not rest. Rest is when you are able to stop and see again the glory of God, the gifts that God has given us, and rest in gratitude for the givenness of the world. Next. When and how and how often do you rest right now? If you're going to get serious about rest, which is ironic because obviously, you know, leisure shouldn't be something we have to work at, but turns out we do. Uh, it's good to take a, an inventory right now. You know, in a given week, when do you do this? Do you do this? Do you, do you have something that's, that's set or do you just kind of, kind of live and hope that rest happens? And the last one, this one's important just so we understand what's uh, at stake here. On a given week, do you stop for a solid 24 hours? Some people will say that, like, some people say, it has to be one day on Sunday. You don't do anything on Sunday. Other people will think, well, maybe rest gets, you know, peppered in um, across the week, especially for those of us with, you know, very high-stress, emotionally engaged uh, work. I don't think the Bible says one way or the other, at least not in the New Testament. The Old Testament's pretty much like... Uh, but we're under grace. We don't have to uh, follow the rules just, you know, super strictly. But we should, I think, as a rule of thumb, make a practice and say, you know what? For 24 hours, I am going to be in a place where I can appreciate God. Eight of those are, are sleeping. And then the other 16, 24 minus eight, 16. Sixth grade teacher, he knows. Uh, the, the other, we should have 16 good hours. And if you don't, You're going right back to slavery. Isn't that crazy? Like, <laughs> so God frees the Israelites from slavery, and then what is the first thing to do? Start working again as though they're slaves. Uh, Jesus Christ gives us salvation and freedom in grace. We are, we're, the, sin, the chains of sin are broken. We are given absolutely, well, not absolutely, but a huge amount of freedom to live in the light of that grace. And what do we do? Who's this for? I, I love, I love um, this, this bit that, that God says. Uh, let's go back to the text. Um, you shouldn't do any work, uh, mom and dad. Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your servants. Your cow, your donkey, any of your animals. Certainly not the, the foreigners, the people, who, the immigrants uh, who are living in your towns because immigrants tend to be servants in that, in that culture. That hasn't changed much, you'll note. Um, so that their servants too can rest as you do. What's it, Carl? Carl Truitt, is that his name? The founder of Chick-fil-A? Anyone know? I think it's Carl Tritt. Uh, I got a picture of the, the worst thing about Chick-fil-A, right? Closed Sunday. 
how many Sundays do I, you know, finish up here? And my, my tradition is to try and go get something to eat. And the first thing I want is a delicious, spicy chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. Nope. Uh, Carl Truett, he said, um, the, the reason that Chick-fil-A is never open on Sundays is because uh, in 1946, when he opened his first restaurant, he had been uh, hustling 24-7, like just, just cranking it out, um, working super, super hard, neglecting his family, all of those things. And, it, and he finally got to a place where the restaurant was successful and he had a chance to breathe. And in that moment, he realized, we need to stop. And not just me, but my people. Like the people who are making these sandwiches, they're, they're working themselves to the bone for me. And it shouldn't just be me that gets to coast and relax. They should be able to relax too. It's good for them. And he said the, the, the idea was that, that, that just because you worked at Chick-fil-A didn't mean that you didn't get to go to church. And as you may know, you know, a hundred years ago, most things were closed on Sundays. Do you ever think about the fact that when you go to lunch after the service, that the people who work there, who are providing your food, don't have the luxury that you have? My tradition on uh, Christmas Eve, so we do a Christmas Eve service, and I'm always nervous, so I don't eat beforehand. So I wait till after. By the time I, I get done, you know, talking to everybody and, and getting ready to go home, uh, there's only one restaurant, fast food restaurant, still open on Christmas Eve, Carl's Jr. And so my tradition on Christmas Eve, which ends, by the way, since I have, can't have carbs anymore, but my tradition before was to go and get that double Western bacon cheeseburger and crisp cut fries. How weird that I'm sitting there in the car mad. I didn't want to get Carl's Jr. It's my only option. What about the guy in the window? He's been turned into a slave. And to some extent, I'm helping. The fourth principle is that rest is for everyone. Stop is for everyone. And so we need to stop everyone. Did you notice that the, 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 the teaching that's given in the principle, it's to the, probably the father of the family, maybe the father and the mother, saying, here's what you're going to do. Not, not only are you going to stop, you're going to stop all these other people from working. You're going to go the Carl Truett route. You're going to stop your servants from working. You are going to be an agent of stop. You are going to be a deslaving person. You are going to be a liberator from labor. And so a couple of questions come with that. And this one's really, really important uh, for those, especially those of us um, in this congregation who, um, who are either uh, entrepreneurs and business owners, or um, you have a lot of great freedom with your own schedule. Uh, who in your sphere of, sphere of influence needs a rest? How can you help give them one? And I don't know the exact answer to all this. I, I do know that one thing that we can do is like, especially most all of us, we can, we can look to find a way to give our kids a rest. Um, and rest looks different for different kids, but 
we, we as, as parents need to be on that train of making sure we're not, my idea of a Sabbath would be like me sitting there watching football. It's like nine more months until it starts again. Um, and then like maybe my kids sort of rubbing my feet. Um, and then like Aaron is dressed in something really provocative and, and, and brings out some appetizers, just lays them. What's that? Low carb. Low carb, yeah. Cauliflower bites. <laughs> but, but that's not Sabbath, okay? That's, that's me being selfish. <laughs> that's not a rest. That's not her getting rest. It's not my kids getting a rest. And it's not my dog even getting a rest. My dog needs to run. I got to get that dog out. If I'm going to give the, the animals need to rest too. We need to show them love. It's crazy. Um, so how can you help give us, uh, that's the, I think that's the next, uh, number two. Yeah. It's a family and friends affair. Uh, this is not just me getting the day off. Uh, and you can enjoy Sabbath with not just your nuclear family, but with extended family, friends. Um, I know the, the Bontes are great at like, you know, inviting people over and, you know, ex- opening the house. Like that's a great way to, to, to do, uh, rest. The last bit, uh, there's some, if you, if you know Jewish tradition, you know that, um, the laws about the Sabbath became very, very strict. And so by the time of Jesus' day, the Sabbath was like a, it was like a prison. It was like you're only allowed to walk like a certain number of feet or something, like 2,000 paces or something. If you, if you went beyond that, you're sinning. Um, and you couldn't, uh, there were lots of different bizarre laws. The reason that happened is because there's a couple of odd sounding texts, um, in Exodus about the Sabbath. And I want you to take a look at them. Um, Moses said to them, this is what Yahweh commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest rest. Uh, that's the Hebrew for super rest. Um, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So before the Sabbath, you know, do meal prep, essentially. And, and, and which is odd to us. And then also don't light any uh, fire in any of your dwellings on the rest day. So don't light a fire. Now that all sounds very weird to us, but that's because we don't live in, you know, 1000 BC. So what would it take to bake whatever you want, boil whatever you want? What would it take to light a fire? I got a couple of pictures that can help a little bit for us to understand. On the left is an ancient uh, stove. And ancient stoves had to be constantly tended because they didn't have like automatic temperature. Um, and so they were also fed by um, animal feces. Uh, dung was the primary fuel for um, ancient cooking. If any of you have been in the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts and you've tried to make a fire with two pieces of stick or two sticks, you know that it's hard. So you're sitting there resting. And your wife's getting mad because this fire that you are going to create right now is the only thing that's going to heat up the food, right? That's how you, that primarily bread was uh, what ancient people or ancient Israelites ate. That was like their staple. And so the bread had to be um, put into that, uh, into that uh, oven with a fire underneath it. So, <laughs> Honey, honey, Sabbath is uh, coming. <laughs> you can see 
the ancient Israelites didn't have what we have. And I present to you the iron side. Look at this thing. Yeah. It's got two levels. This is the Traeger smoker. I, I have a friend who's like a serious smoker. He, uh, he makes fun of me. He's like, Traegers are like the, uh, the easy bake ovens of smokers. Why is that? Because you just dial in whatever temperature you want. You don't have to think about it. It's like fire and forget, and it works every single time. He's like, that does not hard enough. To do real smoking, you have to like, okay, man, you do you. I just want the food. My point is, is that uh, uh, for us, actually, one of the things that we can do for rest is to cook. A lot of us love cooking. That's a resting activity because it's something that, uh, it's something that it gives us, especially, you know, smoking. You get to sit down with your friends and, and talk and chat as you're waiting for the deliciousness. What, what, what God's trying to do is not uh, come up with a whole bunch of rules about what rest should or shouldn't be. Rather, what God is saying is if you're going to rest well, you have to plan ahead. Right? Uh, because cooking and fire making was, was real work in the ancient world, God was saying, do it beforehand. And so what the Jewish people would do is they would light their fires the night before. They would keep them stoked all night long so they didn't have to make it the next morning, the next day. But if they planned ahead, if they thought about what was going to happen on Sabbath, they weren't caught unawares. They weren't caught off guard by Sabbath. Rest was, is something that takes planning. That's the, uh, the, the next principle. It takes planning to really stop. I'm not a planner. I'm, uh, I'm like, hey, whatever happens, happens. But as a result, I wonder if, if that contributes to a lot of the busyness and procrastination and and, and, and distraction that comes because I, I'm not ready to stop. And my family's not ready to stop. We're just trying to make it through the day. We're like, oh, you know, we've got to get all this homework done. And, oh, we've got to get to this practice. And, and oh, we, you know, we've got to do this project that's, that's coming up. And I need to call the plumber to, to get the leak fixed. It, it, it's, it's, this, it's, it's a type of living that is very off the cuff, very, like, just distracted, distracted, distracted. In, in order to stop that, you kind of have to plan ahead. Most of us do this with vacations, right? That's, that's how we operate. We say, okay, I'm going to set up in advance a vacation. That's when I'm going to stop. God says, no. You can stop on vacation, but you need to stop every week. And that's going to require a little bit of effort on your part. So a couple of questions here. What preparations would you need to make to set aside 24 hours of rest, not just for you, but for the whole family? Guys, you might need to help your wife vacuum or whatever so that I don't care. Like the dog hair can be everywhere. I can still rest. Erin can't. That stresses her out. And so I gotta be ready to help her if we're gonna plan ahead to make sure that Sabbath is truly rest day. It's stop day and not I'm stressed out because the dishes aren't still done day. And number two. This one's the big one and it's gonna be kind of the gut check for everyone here. What activities need to happen and what activities need to stop 
for making for real rest. And this is because we're all different people. Um, there's Josh Johnson. If you don't know, Josh Johnson is a tennis fanatic. He loves tennis. That just sounds like a horrible punishment to me. <laughs> Josh, you played tennis before you came here today, right? Ugh. But for Josh, that's rest. That's like, that's where, you know, he's engaged with his, his, his muscles. He's focused. He's putting, he sets aside all the distractions and he just goes and he's in, he's in the moment. So for some of us, yeah, like exercise or sports or whatever can be part of it. For some of us, it's, it's just, no, we got to stop some stuff here because it is turning us into, we're getting, we're enslaved again. We're, we're going back to slavery. Here's the bottom line. Saddleback Mountain is beautiful. Like, it's gorgeous. And I don't even see it anymore. A lot of us don't. To some extent, we prefer the digital slavery, the distraction, the busyness. But that costs us something. It costs us our ability to worship It costs us our ability to be present to our families. It costs us the ability to be the types of people God's called us to be. In fact, if we don't break that slavery once a week, we're no better than the world around us. The pagans who are distracted, who never stop and sit and receive the givenness, the goodness of God. Stop. And be holy. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, thank you for the gift of rest. We confess, God, that we, um, we push it away, we ignore it. We get enslaved by screens and activities, by work. We turn what's supposed to be a gracious and free and open life of worship and love and beauty into something mundane and exhausting. Let us be good at resting. Let us be good at making those around us rest. Let us put in the hard work to prepare for rest. And in doing so, God, make us a community that thrives with happiness, with joyful union, a sign to the workaholics, to the distracted, to the depressed. of what your love does. In Jesus' name, amen.